Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode five of Lagaya Means Happiness. We are almost at Labor Day weekend, so I hope you guys are having a great week. Thank you for listening. I just want to say thank you again for the feedback I've gotten and the support from listeners. I actually went to the NAMI convention last Friday, which is the National Association of Mental Illness, and I will be doing a speaking engagement with them in November to talk about my experience with postpartum. So I went to the convention and I learned so much. And the biggest impression that was made on me was that there are so many people that are high functioning that you would never imagine are struggling with the things that we're struggling with. And they are just out there every day doing their jobs, taking care of their families, being professionals. And it was really inspiring to go to the NAMI convention. It was in Newport Beach at what used to be the Marriott. I think they redid it now. They made it a different resort so they can charge like $200 more a night for a room. But anyway, that's, I digress. But um, it's beautiful. And I was there for the second of two days And I found out about a lot of resources that are out there for people who need a higher, higher level of care, but don't want to go to the hospital for people that don't have insurance for, you know, just all kinds of situations. So I highly encourage you if you're having an issue and you're worried that you can't find resources and you can't find care to look up NAMI, N-A-M-I dot org and look for the association's presence in your area, and they would probably be able to point you in the right direction for whatever you might need and at least offer support and community. So I was really impressed with that convention. So with that, I am now into the part of my story where I've admitted to my family that I have something, like something's wrong, right? Three weeks after I have my baby, I'm suffering with almost crippling anxiety. My medication's not working. I'm afraid of being alone with her. I tell my husband, my mother-in-law comes and pretty much moves in with us. And it was really hard for me to accept that I needed help. I'm not that, I'm not that kind of person. I'm not an easy person to help. Basically. I don't like to admit when I can't do something. I don't like to ask for help. I guess I don't like to accept help. I think it all is in within the grain of not being able to give yourself grace. I certainly wasn't doing that for myself at this point. I was feeling very guilty and very selfish for being consumed with my own feelings when I had a newborn to take care of. And thank God that my mother-in-law was able to come and stay with us. And, you know, at this point, the nighttime feedings and all of the nighttime activities were taken away from me. She was doing that and I was alleviated. And so my days sort of became like this routine. You know, I had completely lost my appetite due to the anxiety. I was pumping, I was breastfeeding. So I looked like I was losing so much weight very fast. (laughs) And that was like one of the plus, the only plus side, I would say of my situation. And a week or two in, I decided I needed to tell my parents that something was wrong. I needed to tell them that I had what I thought was postpartum depression. And when I first told them, my Filipino darling mother, my Filipino nurse mother said, how can you be depressed? 
Don't look at her. Don't you? How can you not love her? And I will just tell you that one of the worst things you can say to a woman who's struggling with postpartum depression, anxiety, or OCD is that she must not love her child. And my mom was super innocent about it. Like, I don't think she meant to scar me or to accuse me of not loving my child. I think she just simplified my condition. And so that in itself kind of showed me that that's where she was at with things. My dad, the chemical engineer, was very practical about it. Didn't understand what was happening. Said he's never understood, you know, me having anxiety. Doesn't really understand the whole thing. He would always say, I don't understand the whole thing. So what I did, and again, I am not a movie critic, but I like to see what's out there. So, you know, I was sort of wanting to relate to them. I wanted them to see how serious this could be. And at this point, I still thought I had postpartum depression. I had not been educated on postpartum anxiety or postpartum OCD yet. So I looked for documentaries or films on postpartum depression. And I found this one documentary that was produced by Brooke Shields. And it was called, it is called When the Bow Breaks. And trigger warning for people who are triggered by suicide. Don't watch this movie. It, it, it's one of those movies, I think I said in my previous episode, that movies can be very depressing about this topic. And it's, it's an interesting watch. I mean, it follows several women through their real life struggles with treating their postpartum depression. And postpartum psychosis is also something that's discussed. And that's when, you know, you go into a completely different state of mind where you think you're hearing voices that are telling you in some cases to hurt your child or to hurt yourself and mainly to hurt your child. And, you know, a lot of us have heard of the Andrea Yates story and different stories like that. And that's postpartum psychosis. And that's brought up in this movie. So I have, you know, my family members, including my mother-in-law and my husband sit through this hour and a half long movie when the bow breaks, because I, I'm desperate for them to understand how serious this is because I was really not feeling well. I was really struggling. And would I recommend this movie when a bow breaks? Yes and no. I think it documents the stories of several women well, but it's a trigger warning for people, you know, who who may not be able to handle certain heavy topics like suicide. I think I'll leave it at that, but it's a documentary. It's well done. It's well produced. And it talks about a, one woman who's struggling for five or six years after she has her child. And I don't know if I necessarily buy that as being postpartum anymore. Like there has to be a certain point at which it's no longer considered postpartum, I would think. Like for me now, struggling with anxiety, I no longer think it's postpartum. Now I think it's just anxiety flare-ups due to parenting, Right. But when it was within the first few weeks and months, even year, year and a half of having my baby, I still considered it postpartum because hormones are still playing a role in, you know, at that time and you're still freshly into parenthood. And so you can consider that postpartum. And again, I'm not a professional, but that's kind of where I drew the line is like, okay, at a certain point, postpartum ends and it just becomes anxiety that I'm dealing with on a day-to-day basis. 
But back to my postpartum story, I had them watch this movie to relate to them. And I remember my dad texting me and saying, may God help each one of those women because it was kind of a depressing movie as well done as it was. And, you know, I do think it showed them like how bad postpartum depression can be. And at this point, again, I still didn't, had never heard anything about postpartum anxiety or OCD. I just thought I must be having postpartum depression. I had lost, completely lost my appetite. I was still breastfeeding. I was still pumping. So I was losing lots of weight every day, which was great, but I had no appetite to eat. And for me, who's someone who loves to eat, you know, it's sad and, it, and it's just a constant reminder that I'm suffering when I lose my appetite. And at this point, I was completely consumed with my anxiety and I felt very selfish and guilty because my mother-in-law would be taking care of my daughter. She was getting up with her at night. She was pretty much doing everything that I should have been doing and I would jump in and change a diaper and I would feed her. I would definitely breastfeed her or feed her a bottle of my breast milk because that made me feel closer to her. But my mother-in-law was doing the brunt of the work and I think she was pretty happy to do it. You know, I, she loves Maddie. So I don't feel like, you know, it was during the pandemic. She wasn't working. So I think we were just blessed. It all worked out and she was there to help me. But, you know, and she would consult me about things with baby and that made me feel good. Like I was making some kind of contribution, but really I was so consumed with my anxiety that I couldn't be present with anybody. And I thought I really need to get in touch with Saul because over the last few weeks and months of my pregnancy, he'd been pretty much off the grid. Like I hadn't spoken with him. And I had thought about that several times and I'd gotten resentful about the situation, which I had in the past. These things have happened between me and Saul in the past where, you know, we have these, we have these periods of time where we don't talk as much, but when you're in a therapeutic relationship, it's not that healthy because if you aren't in constant communication, they don't know what's going on with you and they can't help you obviously. And there I was, you know, in probably, you know, my third trimester, wasn't really talking to my therapist, just going along, taking my medication, doing my thing. And then boom, it hits postpartum depression or so I thought. And so I texted Saul a very personal text. And I said, Hey, I feel like you kind of left me and I need help. And I'm really struggling right now. And where have you been? That kind of text. He responded right away and he said, you know, let's set up an appointment and talk about this. I just assumed you were doing well and that is why I didn't see you. I, I was waiting for you to reach out to me. Totally fair, by the way, totally fair, but still strange because most therapists, and now I've learned most therapists, you know, they want to, if there's going to be a pause in therapy, they really want to acknowledge that and they want to professionally handle that. Or if there's going to be an end to the therapeutic relationship, they definitely want to, you know, have a proper ending and a conversation and maybe a handoff to someone else. Saul, you know, Saul and I kind of would <laughs> go in and out of communication over the years. And this is one of those moments where I had lost communication with him, but I was frustrated because I felt like it was sort of on him knowing what I was going through, knowing that I was, 
you know, pregnant and about to give birth and one of these huge life changes was happening and that the life center had not said anything beyond let us know if something goes wrong. I thought, well, Saul should be on top of me, but he wasn't. He just was like kind of MIA. And so when I told him this, he was very surprised because he said, well, you know, the onus is on you to get in touch with me was kind of his reaction. And he said, like I've told you before, you need a perinatal psychiatrist. You need a specialist. And you also need to give yourself grace. You need to allow yourself to be the patient. And this was like an interesting thing for him to tell me because it was sort of his way of saying, you need to let people help you. And he probably over all of these years knew that I wasn't good at that and that I've always wanted to just kind of get through things and get back on track. And it was hard for me to hear that from him, but I knew he was right that I needed to let myself be the patient, but I didn't know how to do that. Like every day was just another, it was groundhog day. I would get up, get dressed, brush my teeth, make our bed, clean up our room, whatever needed to be done in there. Then I would go outside, feign eating breakfast, some kind of nourishment I would try to have. And I would play with the baby a little bit. And then I would just sort of drift through my day, like sitting on the couch with my mother-in-law, watching the news, which was so depressing, but that's what I was used to watching and I used to love it. So I would be watching the news with her all day and then I would go out for a walk for like 45 minutes where I would just obsess about things. And I started having intrusive thoughts and we've talked about intrusive thoughts a little bit in the past. They're thoughts that just spontaneously come into your mind. You don't really prompt them. They just kind of come and they're off putting and they're scary because they're, they're the opposite of your natural tendency, you know, of your natural character. And the thought that kept occurring to me was, why don't you just leave? You know, there's no place for you here. Maddie doesn't need you. She has William. She has your mother-in-law. She's doing better with your mother-in-law than she would be with you. Why, why don't you just leave? You know, you've gone crazy because at this point the anxiety was crippling. I wasn't eating. I wasn't doing anything. I was just kind of in a haze. And the thought that just kept coming to mind was just leave. Why don't you just leave? And I hated that thought. I was like, no, I have a family. I have a husband. I love, I have a daughter that I am crazy about. It's a very complex feeling postpartum depression. It's very complex. Like you can love your child with all your heart and be scared to death of them at the same time, especially with postpartum anxiety. It's, it's by the book, you know, you love your child, but you're scared of your child. You love your child. You want to be a mother, but you're scared to be a mother. So I had these thoughts of like, what if I just run away? What if I just left my family? So that was one of my intrusive thoughts. And then trigger warning again for anybody that has issues with, you know, self-harm. I started having thoughts and this is one of these moments where it's, you know, it's really hard for me to say this, but I have to be honest. I started having thoughts of hurting myself. And again, they weren't, I had no intent of doing it, of acting it out. They scared me, these thoughts, but I had thoughts of like, what if I just go up to that knife rack and grab that knife and cut myself? 
and like, it was self-punishment, you know, it was, it was a self-punishing thought because I felt guilty about not taking part in my family life and not being there. You know, I can say that now, but back then I was just thinking I'm having thoughts of leaving my family and I'm having thoughts of hurting myself. Good God, what do I do? And Saul had said, you need a specialist. So I called UCLA and I said, I need somebody I can talk to now. I can't wait for three months to talk to somebody. So they gave me a few numbers and I called these people and I waited and I just prayed that one of them would be open to seeing new patients because at this point, you know, at this point during the pandemic, psychiatrists were just in high demand and I, you know, I'm looking for this perinatal specialist type psychiatrist and I just wasn't sure if I was going to find anybody, you know, that was going to be able to help me. So I started breaking down and calling like close friends for support and asking them for suggestions and help. And it was during this outreach that I actually found out a lot of things about my friends that I never knew. And I hope to have them on this podcast at some point, if I can get them to do it. But I found out that pretty much every person I reached out to, and I reached out to probably a handful of close friends, struggled with some kind of perinatal mood disorder, whether it was during the pregnancy or after the pregnancy. Every person I spoke to felt some kind of postpartum or prepartum depression or anxiety. And I thought, wow, I'm really not alone. And, and they would say to me, it's very hard to be home with the baby when you're a career woman. It's really hard. Oh, sweetie, you're going to be okay, but it's really hard. It's really hard. And I thought, well, why didn't you ever tell me how hard this was when you had just had your child and I was fine and I was there and I was visiting and I would talk to you and on a regular basis, but you never told me that it was hard. Nobody told me because we don't, as a society, talk about it. We don't, you know, again, there's that stigma against having any negative feelings after you have a baby. So if you're sitting at home crying because you're longing for your office life or whatever, and you're totally lost in this bundle of diapers and, and milk and feed times and change times, and you're just like, not sure who you are anymore. <laughs> you're not alone. There's a lot of mothers, especially career women who become mothers later in life who struggle because this is not what they sign up for. This is not what they're used to. And they know that they need to do it. They brought this human into the world, but they're not exactly sure how. And they just sort of soldier through. And that's what I was doing in my own way was soldiering through. And my anxiety just kept getting worse because I was just desperate for help. And all I wanted to do was be the mom that I thought I could be, but I just couldn't do it while I felt that bad. So luckily I'll call her Dr. Lisa. One of the doctors responded to me and was able to speak with me and take on you know, take me on as a new patient. And in talking to her, she explained the differences between the three perinatal illnesses, postpartum depression being the most common one that you hear about, right? And can kind of be the umbrella of the other two illnesses, which is postpartum anxiety and postpartum OCD. 
And she explained to me that it sounded like from my presentation, I had postpartum anxiety and OCD and not so much depression. Depression was kind of secondary because I was getting out of bed every day. I was going through my routine. I was going on my walks. I was pumping for the baby. I was functioning. I was doing everything. So that kind of took me out of the category of depression and put me in the category of anxiety because I was functioning, but I was extremely anxious while I was functioning. And I was having these awful intrusive thoughts about what if I just run away from my family that were totally out of character? You know, what if I just cut myself with a knife? I mean, my goodness, like completely out of character for me, not anything I had ever done. And it scared me that I was thinking these things. Like I was thinking I could just pack a bag and leave my family. And I was telling Dr. Lisa this, I could just pack a bag and leave my family. I could just take that knife and I could cut myself. I could just, I could just do all these things. And she said, okay, but, but take a deep breath, sweetie. And remember that how many times have you thought about it? How many times have you done either of those things? Zero. They are just thoughts. And this is like the first of a million times I would hear this. They are just thoughts. They are not you. They don't mean that you're going to engage in the action. They don't mean that you have intent to carry through the thought. It's just a thought and you can observe it as such. And the anxiety is anxiety. And we're going to treat that with medication. And that's when she decided that my Lexapro was obviously pooping out and that's an actual medical term for when a drug stops working, it poops out (laughs) and it had pooped out in a big way. And she said, we need to switch you from Lexapro to another SSRI that's a long acting, you know, antidepressant, anti-anxiety drug that's safe for the baby because you're still breastfeeding. And that was Zoloft. So she switched me from Lexapro to Zoloft, even had a call with my husband, William, on it to talk about the titration. And the titration is, that term is is when you're going up on a med and down on another. So the titration between two medications. And so I was going up on Zoloft, down on Lexapro. There were different times of the day that I was supposed to also take a benzodiazepine clonopin, which I was very familiar with to keep my anxiety under control while we gave the Zoloft time to work. So I had such hope in this treatment plan. And she basically promised me that in a month or two, the sun would come out and the birds would chirp and I would be okay. And I put all my eggs in that basket. I had so much hope that this was actually going to work out for me. And I thought this was going to work. I didn't think that there was a possibility that this wouldn't work. And so she put me on this plan and I tried to be more proactive in terms of like reaching out and finding community and how I was feeling. And since it was the pandemic, there was no where to go. There was no support group that I could go to in person, which I think I would have preferred. So I went to a Zoom meeting for the postpartum international group. And I did one of their support groups online and me being the extrovert that I can be, I raised my hand, told my story, and I got this little message 
down on the bottom of my screen in the chat from this girl named Olivia who said, I completely relate to everything you're saying. I'm going through all the same things. And I could see her on the screen and I could see the chat and we just started chatting back and forth. And then by the end, we exchanged phone numbers. And to this day, we talk like every day. I would say maybe like every other day, but really every day we've spoken. And it was so funny because a couple days ago for the first time, she did an Instagram video and I heard her voice and I'd never heard her voice before because we just text all the time and we text like every day and we've struggled with the same problems. And we met in the postpartum international support group online. And so I thank that support group for giving me that relationship because it's so rare, I think, to find somebody, to find a mom that's going through postpartum anxiety and OCD and not so much the depression piece. You know, you have so much energy and you're like up and you're, you're going and you're, you're obsessing and you're, it's like runaway anxiety, but you're not, not technically depressed, you know, and you're having these awful thoughts at the same time that are like attacking your brain And Olivia was having the exact same symptoms. And the other thing that was funny was that my daughter's name is Maddie and her daughter's name is Addie. And just a lot of strange similarities between the two of us. And anyway, like I'm sure we'll meet one day, but we haven't yet. But um, she's probably going to listen to this. So hi. And then we'll probably text about it later. But so that support group gave me community in that those women were suffering from different symptoms. And I also met Olivia, which was a lifeline because I needed somebody that I could relate to. So I was glad, you know, about that. But the problem was as time was going on, the Zoloft just wasn't working. It was, and Zoloft can be activating in some circumstances, which means it can cause anxiety. So some anxiety medications can be like more depressants and can like make you feel like more down, low mood, you know, desensitize, but others can be activating and they can make you more anxious. And Zoloft is, I think one of those. And I think all of them can do both of those things to you. It really just depends on your body chemistry, which is why it's so scary to switch medications. And so the Zoloft was proving to be activating for me. I got to the point where I was calling Dr. Lisa pretty much every day complaining and telling her that I wasn't feeling good because I wanted to feel better so badly. And she started to get a little frustrated. I think at one point she was at a funeral and I called her and she answered the phone and she said, you really need to relax and give this time. And you need to put the clonopin right next to your bed. And the minute you wake up in the morning, you need to take the clonopin. And I was thinking, God, I'm not in a good way. If I'm needing to take a benzodiazepine the moment I wake up to get through my day. So things just, they weren't going well. And Saul was kind of out of the picture because he was saying that he wasn't the right person to treat me. And he was the voice and he was the experience and he was the person that I trusted for 15 years. So I don't think I realized until later what a transition I was going through, right? I was a new mother I was going through postpartum anxiety and OCD. 
I was switching medications and I was entrusting myself to a new person who I had only just met after having been under the care of another person for 15 years who was now sort of washing his hands of me. That's how I felt. I mean, I don't think he meant to do that, but that's how I definitely felt. And again, I just wasn't getting better. I wasn't not getting better at all. And I was so desperate to feel better. And I was feeling really useless in my own home. I just felt like, again, I should run away and I should just leave. And, and they would all be better off without me, but I never left. And the thought in my head that I had my free will and that I could just pack a bag and leave really scared me. So that showed me that I didn't want to actually do that. The thought that I could pick up a knife and cut myself really scared me. So it showed me that I didn't really want to do that. These were like classic intrusive thoughts. And I would later be referred to OCD specialists, but I'll leave that for like a future episode because for right now, just the education of knowing that I was having intrusive thoughts was really important in just battling the anxiety from a mental standpoint. And I just continued trying to do my routine and it was just getting worse and worse and worse. And I finally, one day hit a really low point and Maddie was napping and I was laying on the couch. My mother-in-law was in the kitchen and I was crying and I was so tired and I was so exhausted from running away from my anxiety and trying to deal with it like trying to face it head on yet running away from it at the same time. And I just needed help. And I, it was a cry for help. And I got up off the couch. I went to my mother-in-law and I said to her, and I had tears in my eyes. And I said, I just want to take that whole bottle of Clonopin and go to sleep. And I want to make it really clear to everybody. I did not mean that in any suicidal type of way. I wanted to go to sleep from the nightmare that I was living and wake up and it all be better and it all be over. So while it might sound like I was saying, I want to go and trigger warning, I want to commit suicide with that bottle of Klondheim. That's not what I was saying at all. I was just saying, I need relief. I need this to go away now. I want to take that bottle And I want to go to sleep and wake up and this be over. But I knew how serious my words were. And I knew that it was going to come across to my mother-in-law in a very different way. And she got tears in her eyes as I was crying. And she grabbed my hands and said, what about Maddie? What will Maddie do without a mommy, without a mother? And I just cried because I didn't mean that. And I loved my daughter fiercely. That's why I was trying to get better. That's why I was afraid to touch her because I was afraid that I would hurt her. I got afraid to be near her because I was afraid that I wasn't good enough to take care of her. And now my mother-in-law is saying, well, what will Maddie do without you? And it just made me think, look, you have to get better. You've got to get better. And she went and interrupted William. He was in a meeting. I think she waited until he was done. And we got William out of the meeting and we decided to call my mom who immediately got in her car 
to come up to Los Angeles from Orange County. And I left the house. I put my sneakers on and I went outside for one of my walks. And I called my dad. And I just laid it all on him. And I said, Dad, I've been fantasizing about leaving. I don't know if I can do this. I'm not cut out to be a mom. Something's wrong with me. Why would I be having this type of reaction if I'm supposed to be a mom? I'm on different medications now. This whole thing is just so scary to me. I don't know what to do. And, you know, my dad's a chemical engineer, and he approaches everything practically. And he approached, you know, when I showed him that movie about the the women that were going through postpartum depression, the movie called When the Bow Breaks, you know, he had just said, God help all of those women, you know, he really, I think, took it in and understood that this was a really serious illness. And at that point, I had tried to explain to him that I didn't have the classic postpartum depression, but that I have anxiety and OCD, and I'm having these thoughts, and I'm having these thoughts of leaving my family. And he actually, like, walked through that with me and said, okay, well, so you think you're going to leave your family? You know, I really don't think you should do that because... William is going to have to take care of Maddie by himself if you do that. And you've already committed. You stood up in front of everybody at your wedding and you committed. And you're a wife now and you're a mother. And you're going to do a good job. You're going to raise your daughter and you're going to do a good job just like you do with everything else. And his conviction just struck me. You know, he had way more confidence in me in that moment than I had in myself, way more confidence. And he said, I'm in my later years and I'm looking back now. I'm making lots of decisions that, you know, we don't like to talk about, but I'm making lots of decisions right now. And I'm looking back over my life and what is my legacy? And it's you, you know, it doesn't matter, you know, how many patents I have or what I did in my career or, you know, really anything. My legacy is you and anyone's legacy is their children. doesn't matter how amazing or unamazing they are. Their legacy is their children. And you have the opportunity to leave a legacy through Maddie and an opportunity to raise your own child. And I know you. And you are going through a very hard time right now, but you are going to raise your child and you are going to do it well because that is what you do. And just him speaking to me with such confidence and conviction gave me the strength that I needed to get through the next few hours of that day and evening. And that's kind of where we were at at that point. Just get me through this day. And with what he said... You know, and I'd been like walking and walking and breathing heavily and going up and down hills and talking to him on the phone. And I turned around and I headed back home and I went into my tiny little apartment and I looked at my daughter who was on her boppy in the middle of the couch where she always was. And I remember thinking, I may be going through hell right now, but you're my daughter And I'm going to get through this for you. And my mom got there and I was so happy to see her. And I knew that she was going to come with like rosary beads and prayer cards. And she was going to pray over me and tell me that, how could I not love my child? You know, things like that. But 
you know, she spent the night that night in our tiny apartment. My mother-in-law, my mom, William, me, Maddie, the dog, we were all in the house. And I woke up the next morning to my mom's oatmeal and toast and coffee breakfast. And I felt okay. For the first time in weeks, I felt like there might be hope. And so I think I should stop there because that's just a good place to stop. You know, I went through a lot of suffering and then there was light and there was hope. But the issue is it didn't last very long. You know, none of this ever lasted very long because when it came down to it, this was the first time I was dealing with severe anxiety without my medication working. And this was also the first time I was ever dealing with intrusive thoughts and OCD at this level. And there was just a lot of work to be done to help me feel better. And I wasn't there yet, but thanks to my mother-in-law, William, my dad, and my mom, I got through my lowest day, got through the evening, went to sleep, woke up the next day to do it again. And I'm just going to stop right there for now. There's more to say, but I will leave that for a future episode. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your support. Thank you for subscribing to the podcast. If you haven't, please do. Um, If you have time to write a review, I really read them and I appreciate them. And sometimes I feature them on my Instagram stories. So please do that if you have time. And again, if you have a question or a comment or just want to say anything to me, you can always DM me on my Instagram account, or you can send me an email at lagaya means happiness at gmail.com. And my Instagram account is, um, at lagaya underscore means underscore happiness. And I also have a Facebook page, lagaya means happiness. So there's no way that you can miss me. (laughs) And, um, So thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode. I know there was a few hard moments there. I hope I didn't trigger anyone. And I will talk to you guys next time. Have a wonderful Labor Day weekend. Stay safe. And yeah, we'll talk next week. All right, guys. Thanks. Bye.